few, perhaps a number of you were not even born yet. Uh, but there was a song in the, uh, in the seventies, uh, called My Tribute by Andre Crouch. Any takers? Uh, uh, three, I see those hands. Hallelujah. All right. Um, uh, again, he was one of the, uh, when we first became, entered into a real personal life-changing relationship with Jesus, and we had the opportunity to experience some unique worship uh, events, and he was at a couple of those. And the song by Tribute goes like this, or it starts this way. How can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? <clears throat> things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love for me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am and ever hope to be, I owe it all to thee. And as we enter into or start on the first Sunday of November, um, I encourage you to spend some time over the next few weeks thinking about how you might answer that question. How can I say thanks? Considering all he has done for you, all he has done for you in the past, all that he is doing for you, and all that he expects to do for you in the future. How can I say thanks? And I encourage you to wrestle with that uh, on a consistent basis. This morning I have a couple of random suggestions uh, or reflections along the theme of thanksgiving. And then we're going to look at a somewhat familiar passage of scripture uh, that I've shared before in the context of thanksgiving holidays. Um, but I think it bears repeating. As you might expect, the Bible has a lot to say on the subject of giving thanks, which can be challenging for me personally, um, because when left to my own natural tendencies, I will admit I tend to be a glasses-half-empty kind of guy. So the whole idea of consistently, intentionally, strategically, consciously giving thanks goes against my grain. <clears throat> When I start to wrestle with what the Bible has to say on the topic, sometimes it helps me to consider a couple of statements. The first is, things could be worse. Things could be worse. Give thanks as a choice. There are times we must make a clear, intentional, even not natural choice to give thanks. Uh, some of you know enough about our history and over the course of our married life, We've spent a little bit of time in doctor's offices and in hospitals. And oftentimes I go there uh, with a sense of angst, frustration, why me, why us, why now? And almost always, if I go with that attitude, God finds an opportunity to give me that gentle nudge that says, hey, get over yourself. Um, I remember one of the very, very first appointments we had when Diana first started ages ago to deal with some back issues. And we went to a, a back surgeon's office, and, and I, I, was, I was there. I was, this is not part of our plan. This is not convenient. Why do we have to deal with this? And we go in, and, and, and again, I, I will own it. I went in with less than a stellar attitude. And I'm sitting there, and they take Diana back into the room, and, and I'm sitting there just having a wonderful pity party. <laughs> and then I feel this gentle nudge of the Holy Spirit, and I start to look around, and I realize every other patient in the waiting room was wearing one of those halos from having 
major spinal issues. And it was like, oh, it could be worse. And again, even recently, as we've been at the University of Michigan, and, and again, if you've ever been to their hospital there, you don't have to look long before you see somebody who is in a more difficult situation than you're in. Um, turn on the news, look at social media, and it doesn't take long to see where somebody or is in a worse situation. Talk to other people. Uh, countless times I've, you know, wanted to unload my frustrations to someone and realize, wait a minute, <laughs> their situation is actually worse than mine. Maybe I should just keep it to myself or I should give thanks. So I say that things could be worse, not to minimize my pain or your pain or anyone's pain or discomfort, but to realize that even in my worst moments, God has not abandoned me, nor will he ever. And if that is the case, then I can choose to give thanks, even if it goes against my natural tendencies. Now, again, some of you may have that wonderful temperament where the glass is always full to overflowing, and it's just natural for you, and that's awesome, and I celebrate that. But I also say for the rest of us, there are times we just have to make the choice. And and that comes to the, the next one, I would say, and that's that things could be better. Things could be worse, but things could also be better. And to me, I think about giving thanks as a promise. No matter how good things are or how bad things are, with God, there is always the hope that they will get better. Just think about it. If you're here and you're just rocking it, you're on top of the world, just imagine God says it can be even better. And if you're here this morning and you're not there, understand the promise of God is it will get better. If not in this life, definitely in the next life. And just think about it. Some of us, you know, we've got a few miles on our odometer, all right? We've been around a while. But no matter how long we live in this life, it is a drop in the bucket compared to the eternity we have to spend with him. And so we can give thanks as a promise because God promises it will get better. And it will be far better than we could even ask or imagine according to Scripture. And then the third thing is, things are what they are. It's just life. And Scripture says repeatedly, give thanks as a command. We are literally commanded as followers of Christ to give thanks in all circumstances. Now, it doesn't mean we have to like it, but it does mean we need to find a way to give thanks, even in the most miserable circumstances. Good, bad, everywhere in between, our reality is always changing. As I've said repeatedly, it took me far too long in life to figure out. I, my goal was always to get everything just so, thinking it would stay there. The, her, the term hurting cats sounds remotely familiar there. Uh, again, in my life, if I had things going great at the church, it seemed like there was something at home or there was something with extended family. There was something with our own kids and things would be going great everywhere else and always something, you know, whack-a-mole, stuff popping up and, and, and you got to deal with it. The reality is it's always changing. Yet the Bible clearly instructs us 
commands us, if you will, to give thanks. And it's interesting how some of us can have a great inclination to embrace some of his commands while not embracing others. And again, with my temperament, sometimes embracing the command to give thanks in all circumstances really has to be an act of the will because it is not a natural thing for me. So I just say that just to kind of set the stage a little bit. And and now I want you to... Um, Russell with a passage of scripture, and again, I suspect it's familiar to uh, many of us, but I'm just going to read from Luke chapter 17, starting with verse 11. And you may notice it's not up there. So if you don't have a device and you don't have one of these old time tools they call a written Bible, uh, just food for thought, all right? Um, Luke chapter 17, starting with verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? No one was found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner. Or excuse me, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner. Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Now keep in mind that... Leprosy was a terrible scourge in Bible times. Its victims were often grossly misfigured with open, foul-smelling wounds. It was believed to be highly contagious, so those who contracted it were social outcasts, they were physical outcasts, they had to be on the fringe of society, they were financial outcasts, and they were even religious outcasts. That's why we read these ten men stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice. If you notice in verse 14, Jesus' response was, Go show yourselves to the priests. It was the priest's job in those days to confirm that the healing had taken place and to declare the person clean, freeing them to resume normal life. So that's part of the process. He said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And what it went on to say in verse 14 was, as they went, okay, you catch that, right? He said, go show yourselves to the priest, and you would think, okay, I'm clean, I should go show myself to the priest. But he said, go show yourselves to the priest, and nothing had happened yet. It says, as they went, the healing did not come until they took some action. And then it says, As they went, they were cleansed. Now, friends, understand, there was no cure, there was no treatment for leprosy in that time. There was only isolation, separation, and suffering. So as they went, they were cleansed. And this was a cleansing they could not provide for themselves. There was no way to cure yourself of leprosy. Nor could any other man 
or technology in their day provide cleansing for them. But in response to the instructions of Jesus, as they went, they were cleansed. And then verses 15 and 16 covered it. All ten were cleansed. And one came back. Now, again, some of you have heard me say before, in the Jewish culture, there were Jews, there were Jews, and there was everybody else. And then there were the Samaritans. All right? So, there are ten men healed. Because it states this, I'm inclined to assume, and it is an assumption, and I own that, I'm inclined to assume that at least some of them were Jews. But this one, we're told, who was healed, part of the ten who were healed, this one was a Samaritan. In other words, Jews had no use for him. Jesus really didn't even have a place talking to this man, let alone healing him. But this one, out of the ten, went back and said thanks. Do you ever just wonder why just one? Were the other nine not ecstatic or thrilled that they had been healed? Were they not aware? Does it bother you even a little that only one came back? And again, note how he came back. Praising God in a loud voice and falling at Christ's feet. Now that we have at least somewhat of an image of this event in mind, how might that story apply to you and I? Just going to go out on a limb here. How many of you currently have leprosy? Any of you ever had leprosy? Any of you know anybody who's ever had leprosy? So what does this story have to do with us? Some of you may know that there are times in the Bible that leprosy is representative of something else. What is it? Sin. Any of you ever sin? Don't raise your hand. Oh, there you go. I see that hand. Sin separates us from God, just as leprosy separated those individuals from their religious pursuit. Not from God, but from their normal expression of their religion. When living in a sinful state, we are in need of a cleansing that we cannot earn or provide for ourselves and that no other human being can provide for us. Much like there was nothing the leper could do in their own strength about their situation. And sin and leprosy both result in death if left untreated. It's scriptural. The message of the Bible, somebody commented recently that we haven't even had Thanksgiving yet and we're already talking Christmas. But the message of the Bible, the message of Christmas, the message of Easter is just like that that the ten lepers faced in this story. 
Christ offers a cleansing to each and every one of us. All we have to do is by faith reach out and receive it. Which is something I suspect many, if not most, of us here today have done. So the question I want you to wrestle with today and throughout the rest of November is if you have received a cleansing from Christ, which of the lepers are you most like? The nine who got a healing and went on their merry way or the one who came back to give thanks? How can I say thanks? How do I say thanks? How should I give thanks? Go back and just comment on a couple things from the one and how he reflected his thankfulness, how he lived it out. Verse 15, it says, he came back. Have you ever been with a group of people and they're all going this way and you say, wait, I want to go this way? It can be somewhat awkward sometimes to be the one who says, I want to go this way. And everybody else is saying, we want to go this way. I, I have to believe as they're moving as a group, and, and, and this is extrapolation, but as they're moving as a group, they gradually begin to realize these open, oozing wounds are closing up. Their bodies are being transformed, and they have to see it in others, and they have to see it in themselves. And they're, there seems to me like there would be this, this collective sense of, wow, something's happening here. This is amazing. And so in the midst of all of that, this one says, I'm going to go back and tell this dude thanks. And the others are saying, we're not. This one went against the flow, went against the nine, went against the overwhelming majority. And I would simply say, one of the ways in which we say thanks to God is every time we take a stand for righteousness, every time we say no to ungodliness, whether everybody's saying no with us or whether we're the only one who's taking that stand. One of the ways we say thanks is to go against the flow. Verse 15, it says, He came back praising God in a loud voice. Now, again, some of you know I take great comfort in the fact that it does not say praising God in a wonderful, melodious uh, voice. It says in a loud voice. And, and I would simply suggest that one of the many ways we can say thanks to God is when we consistently, not, not a one-time sing-fest, but when we consistently live lives that are f- regularly, intentionally filled with praise and worship. As I said to you recently, it's very, very comfortable for me when things are going well to be filled with praise and worship. Not so much when things are not going all that well 
It requires a degree of intentionality. It requires that going against my natural flow in order to live a life of giving thanks, a life regularly and intentionally filled with praise and worship. And then in verse 16, it says something interesting. He goes back. He's praising God in a loud voice. And he literally throws himself at Jesus' feet. Now, I will not judge all the other men here by my personality and idiosyncrasies. But I can be, some of you may have noticed, I can be rather stubborn and stiff-necked. I know that shocks you, because none of you have ever encountered that. I shared with you a few weeks ago that pride is an issue for me. And the thought of a grown man publicly running up to someone else and literally throwing himself at his feet. To me, we say thanks when we live lives that are fully surrendered to his will, his way, his works, his time. And for most of us, I was making fun of myself, but let's be honest. That kind of submission, I mean, even this word submission, some of our hackles rise on the back of our neck. Because we're Americans, we don't submit to anybody, right? That level of submission, of saying, thy will, not mine, be done is one of the ways we say thanks. And that definitely goes against the nine because that's not where we are at as a culture. And then verse 19, after they have this exchange, Jesus says, rise and go. And I would extrapolate on that and suggest that we say thank you with a life of faithful service. If Jesus has really done what we say he has done for us in saving our souls for all of eternity and giving us the opportunity to live a new life and to be cleansed from sin, then one of the best ways we say thank you is by how we live our life in serving him. Before I close, I just invite you to wonder with me for just a moment about what the nine may have done that kept them from returning and giving thanks. What what stopped them from saying, you know what, this is pretty amazing what's happened. I want to go say thank you. It didn't say like the, like the one demoniac who was healed, who, who wanted to go with Jesus and, and be with him forever, <clears throat> walking with his disciples. He's just going back to say thank you. That's not a lifetime commitment necessarily of staying where he's at. But I suspect for some of the nine, again, to use a familiar example, any of you remember 
a while back when we were told to stay home and behave ourselves, you know, don't leave or whatever. Have you noticed how we seem to have lost our minds now that we can go back out? So part of me thinks maybe for some of these lepers, they had been so confined for so long that once they were free to go about their business, they thought, i got to make up for lost time. Look at all the stuff I've missed out on that I need to go do. I, I haven't been with my family in a physical way in who knows how long. i got to go catch up with them. I, I've, I gotta go find a job. I've gotta go take care of my home that's been neglected. Whatever it is, it's the same stuff of life that can distract us and keep us from living lives that reflect the thankfulness for all He's done for us. And again, I, I don't want to be trite and simplistic in saying this again, but I think from time to time it's helpful for all of us to ask the question, am I living more like the nine or more like the one in how I spend my time, talent, and treasure? I wonder, I wonder what the percentage is in the church today. If in this example from Luke chapter 17, it was 10% who come back and say thank you, and 90% who don't. I wonder what the percentage is today. Out of every 10 who accept the gift of cleansing, how many come back and say thank you with consistent praise-filled lives, surrendered lives of servanthood? Am I the one or am I one of the nine? Bow your heads with me, please. I'll close with where I began. Words from my tribute. How can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? Things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love for me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am and all that I ever hope to be, I owe it all to thee. So we continue in an attitude of prayer. I would just remind you, God doesn't need to hear the voices of a million angels. He just wants to hear your voice. He just wants you. You don't need to worry about the other nine. He just wants to hear you say thank you. For all that he's done in you and through you and for all that he wants to do in you and through you. Father, it's a lot to think about. All of us have lots of stuff going on in our lives. Countless things that will siphon off our energy and our attention and our focus. Help us to just be increasingly mindful, especially during this season that talks so much about giving thanks. Help us, Father, to make an intentional effort to reflect the one, the one who makes a conscious, intentional decision to live a life of thankfulness. 
that's reflected in how we relate to others. It's reflected in how we relate to you in worship. It's reflected in how we serve you and serve one another. And Father, in the days and weeks to come this month, help us to become increasingly vocal in expressing our thanks to you in our prayer and in our praise and our worship. And help us to be increasingly vocal in expressing our thankfulness about what you've done in our lives to others. And help us to be increasingly vocal and intentional in expressing thankfulness to others for how they enrich our lives and how they honor you. We thank you, Father. We really, really do say thank you. In the name of your Son and our Savior who provides that cleansing, no one else can provide. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.